All right. Revelation chapter 22. Uh, chapter 21 and 22 are a huge break in or change of direction in the book of Revelation. Uh, we've talked about you know, what John saw when he was there on the island of Patmos and the seven churches, how that applies, how it applied then, how it applies to us now. Then we go into all the prophetic uh, information of our future, of what the Lord is going to do in that seven-year tribulation period upon the earth. And, and, and that's some pretty heavy stuff. And then chapter 21 and chapter 22, we've come to the end of the tribulation and the end of the millennium, and now begins an entirely new relationship between God and man. One that has never existed before. Not even in the Garden of Eden did this relationship exist. And so you can see it as the new age or final age of man or the new dispensation of mankind. But this is the last one. While there's been different ways that God has dealt with mankind, starting in the garden throughout human history, this is the last one. It never changes. This will never go away. This kingdom will never end. And this is the kingdom that we will eternally be a part of. Brand new relationship with the Lord. It is for every believer throughout all eternity. New heaven and new earth have been combined, right? So last week we saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And we need to understand that's far more than just a really, really big city. And it is really big. 1,500 miles cubicle. We talked about that most of the city itself will be outside of Earth's atmosphere, right? So things are going to be very different. But it's more than just a large city. It is the dwelling place for all believers throughout all time. It is heaven and earth combined. No more division. God is not on his throne in heaven. As we'll see today, he is on his throne in that city with us. Awesome. There will be uh, some things missing. Be no need for the sun, no need for the moon, that Jesus himself will be the light of that city. And we get the idea, talked about at the end of uh, chapter 21, it's just a little side note, but that the light of that city will light the, the walk or the paths of man. And, and some say that the, the idea is that the city itself is actually in orbit kind of, and that it's going to be like a brand new sun, that the light of Jesus Christ himself will light the earth and it will rotate around the earth. I don't know. Just an idea. But he is the light. There will also be no more tears or death or sin. It's the end of all of those things. They have all passed away. And as we come to the end of Revelation, final chapter here, I know, and I know I mentioned this last week, but sometimes we kind of look at it and go, man, that's a great ending to the story, Right? The whole story of mankind from the garden all the way through human history to Revelation chapter 22, what a happy ending. But we need to understand, it's just the end of that age. It's just the end of this little tiny blip. And that's all it is. If you think about all of human history compared to eternity future, it barely registers. It's just a little blip, and that's all it was. But it was enough to reveal God's amazing love towards us. What he did to redeem us. What he did to save us. And the great plan that he has always had for us, right? 
But from this, really, Revelation chapter 22, it's just like the opening statement of the actual story. The story that we, did, we haven't even gotten a glimpse of yet. This is the only glimpse we get of it. And, and it's going to go on for eternity future. And so John is going to continue in chapter 22, at least the beginning part of it, to uh, still describe the new Jerusalem. And uh, we'll look at some of those things and, and why they're important and how they kind of point back to things in the past, like the temple and the tabernacle. But also, we're seeing some things getting dealt with that go all the way back to the garden. And uh, so then we get into just kind of the final wrap-up in Revelation. Now, as we go through this chapter, there's, there's a lot of voices speaking here. So we've got the Lord himself. We've got John giving commentary. I think there might be a few angels that throw in some things here and there. And it's kind of hard to keep track. Um, and, and I'd say don't worry too much about it. I think it's obvious when it's the Lord speaking. And it's pretty obvious when it's John speaking. Uh, but sometimes we're gonna, we might kind of look at it and go, well, I don't exactly know who's saying that. It's okay. Information is still what we need, uh, and, and we'll focus on those things. So let's pray one more time. Lord God, we are so grateful for this journey that you've taken us on through the book of Revelation. And Lord, as we'll see today, you promised that those that keep this book, that hold this book dear, that guard the, the revelation itself, will be blessed. And Lord, we have been as we've studied it. Uh, Lord, we pray that today you would take this chapter, you would apply it to our lives, and God, you would help us to walk it out through this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 1, says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. As John continues this description of New Jerusalem, uh, there's some interesting things. And again, I, I can't imagine how hard it was for John to see these things and then to try and verbalize them. Uh, some people kind of will downplay that and say, well, see, John didn't even know what he was talking about. He was just, you know, trying to do the best he could and probably making a mess of it. I don't think that's true at all. I just think that John had to simplify some things because he couldn't give a grand description, right? He was just going to get the, the idea of cross. And of course, the Holy Spirit was guiding him every step of the way on how to explain these things. And as we talked about last week, there is no temple in the New Jerusalem. And I love that. The more I thought about it this week, just the idea that there's, there's no temple in the New Jerusalem because the Lord himself is the temple. And the idea is that instead of needing to go to church to study the scriptures, to talk about the Lord, or to go to a temple to try and seek him or, or pray or intercede on the behalf of others, we don't need to do that because we can just go to him. 
We just, we just go to the Lord. We just, hey, you got five minutes? Or, I don't know. I guess there's no time, so we just can spend as much time as we want. But that instead of going to some special place, he is the temple itself. And this re- new relationship is, is, again, a greater depth than mankind has ever seen before. However, while there are some things missing, like the temple, it's also important to note that there is one thing that remains still the same, his throne. There in the midst, and the, the idea is the center of the city is the, temp, or is the, the throne of God. And that's, that's a consistent picture throughout Scripture. So even when, as we saw the throne room of God there in the earlier chapters of Revelation, the idea was the throne room was the center of all of heaven, right? And, and in the temple itself and in the tabernacle, the holy of holies, which represents his throne, is there in the center of the temple, right? So, so again, very consistent on how the Lord lays these out. But the idea that his throne, absolute and final authority, it remains the same, nothing's changed, he is right there. And that it is from his throne, again, which we've seen throughout Scripture, that it flows mercy and grace and light and life. And from his throne flows the river of life. And I don't know why, but every time I read that, it gives me chills. The idea that it's not just a river of water. It's not just clear water. It's not just good water. This is the water of life. There's something so powerful to that. I can't even put it into words. And I think part... It'll be interesting to talk with John, because I think we here in America... We don't understand the huge importance and the vital need of water, right? We can get water wherever we want. We can get it in bottles. We can get it in plastic bottles. We can put it in, in our own bottles. We can go to, you know, anywhere, work, school, town, anywhere you want, you get water. In fact, you go to the restaurant, what's the very last thing you really want? Water. You know, I'll take a soda or I'll take coffee or tea or whatever, whatever you people order at restaurants. But it's usually not, oh, can I please have some more water? It's just one of those things we take it for granted. In John's day, and in a lot of places in the world today, third world countries and other places, including the Middle East still, water is life. It's everything. And they understand when water stops, you die. Right? Even in the desert, if you find water, most times it's contaminated. It's stagnant. It can even be flowing in a river, and it's still pretty sketchy. And so for John, this is what draws his attention, is like there is a pure river of water of life. And I think for him it would have been even greater impact because he understood the importance and how dynamic. that it. We understand it to a certain degree, but I think more for John in his day to understand that this water represents God's provision, God's life, and God's cleansing, all of that together, right? And it is a never-ending flow from His throne, which again explains why it is pure. It is from His throne. Um, in verse 2, it says, In the midst of the street and on either side of the river, 
the tree of life. Now, if you remember, we've heard of the tree of life before. And this is where we start seeing some of the real big tie-ins to the Garden of Eden. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, this is after Adam and Eve have fallen. They've eaten the, the forbidden fruit. And God says that, well, we can't allow mankind to eat of the tree of life because then he'll live forever. And so he places an angel there to guard the tree that no one can get to it. And the angel is armed with a sword of fire. Well, that was the last time we saw the tree of life. It's been mentioned. It's used poetically and it's used a couple times, you know, in, in that sense through in Scripture. But now we see in the new Jerusalem, the tree of life. Now, there's a couple of opinions on this. And again, I don't really think it matters. It's just kind of interesting things to think about. Some say, well, this is a new tree of life, right? New Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth, new tree of life. Okay, no problem with that. Others say it's actually 12 trees on either side of the river and on either side of the street, and they grow together into one kind of mass at the top, so it looks like one tree, possibly. But everything that John uses is singular. Uh, when it talks about each of the trees, that word trees is in, in, has been put in by the uh, translators. That's, that's not in the original language uh, as far as it bearing its fruit. But again, I don't really have a problem with that. I think maybe because I oversimplify things, I think this is the same tree. It's just a whole lot bigger, right? That in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life. And it would make sense to me that the tree of life can never die. And now God has just simply transplanted it. <laughs> and it's huge. It's had 7,000 years to grow. And it's on either side of the tree. This thing is massive. And, and again, it's, it's more than the details of the tree being important. The idea is that those things that were kept from Adam are now made available to everybody. This new relationship is deeper than anything Adam and Eve could have ever had in the Garden of Eden. And what was held back for their own good, for the good of mankind, is now freely given to each and every person. I also think it's interesting, and again, I don't have some great revelation on this, but that the river of water, the river of life, feeds the tree of life. Right? From the throne of God, the river flows. It flows to the tree that spans on either side of the tree, on either side of the river, either side of the, the road. And uh, to me, I, I, no matter how I try and picture this, I just know I'm not even getting close. I just think it's so breathtaking, so beautiful, so powerful in all that it means. Um, and part, the tree has a purpose. So it isn't just for looks and aesthetics and, and, or whatever. It's to say uh, we're told that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Again, one of the questions that comes up, well, what's left to be healed? It's a new heaven, new earth. God's throne is, is established, right? Evil's done away with. Death has been put away. What's left to be healed? Well, the Greek word for healed uh, is, is different than we think of it. it is, instead of when we talk about healed, we're usually speaking of wounds of the past being healed now. The word that's used actually means that it's to sustain health and life from there forward, right? That it's the ongoing healing of the nations, or the ongoing sustaining of the nations is from the tree of life, or from the leaves of the tree of life. Verse 3 says, there shall be no more curse. 
And I think this was the part, well, there were several spots that I, I as I studied this, I came to and I was like, wow. We can just roll over that so quickly. Oh, no more curse. That sounds good. And we just keep on reading. Understand what that, all that that means. Just try and take that in for a minute. First of all, one of the things that I always think about when it comes to heaven is that in heaven there will be no more jerks. There isn't going to be one person with a bad motive, bad intention, that all that's been removed, right? Because it, that's all part of the curse. And so even people now that were like, I don't like that person. I mean, they're a Christian, but we just don't get along. I wish that wasn't true. I've heard some of you people have those issues, though. No. We all do, right? And even Paul said, hey, as best as you can, try and be at peace with all men. It's not always possible. But in heaven, all that's going to be sorted out. And in heaven, all those things in me that have kept it from, from happening here on earth have been removed, right? And who we are on the inside, all of the goodness that God has poured into us is all that will remain. There will be no more curse. No more curse on creation or on mankind. No more sin. No more selfishness. No more wrong motives. No more sickness and death. That we, at this point, will be absolutely and completely restored to what God originally intended. And we can't even wrap our minds around that. We can't even fully take in what that is about. But that is the truth of it. See, right now... The curse clings to us. Even though we're redeemed, even though we're saved, even though Jesus has paid our price, we're still in this fallen state. We still struggle with our flesh. We still say things we shouldn't. We still do things we shouldn't. It clings to us. It defines us. It's in our DNA, literally, in our DNA. But in, then, in that day, instead of the curse defining us, What's going to define us is the throne of Jesus. And I think it's cool how this puts it together. Because it almost sounds like, they, like John's changing subjects really first, really fast. Oh, there's no more curse, but there is a throne. Huh? The idea is, is, is what defines us. What is our life for all eternity going to be based on? Not the curse. It will be upon his throne. And his throne, his goodness, his love will define who we are. His throne the th and the throne of God, the throne of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And because his throne defines us, then the things that we do are going to be done for him. And we will do stuff. That, again, I know I mentioned this last week, but people say, what are we going to do in heaven? I mean, honestly, it sounds a little boring. Are we just going to sit around? Listening to harp music all the time? Because I'm not down with that. I'd rather not, right? I, it's just going to be like everyone going, well, I'm good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. We're in heaven. Good, right? We're going to have a purpose. We're going to have a calling. And we're going to be used by him. Um, I believe it will be exactly what we've always desired and never knew it. Again, I don't know what that is. Some of us are going to be worship leaders in heaven. Some of us are going to be joining in, in prayer. Some of us will be out doing things in the world. We talked about last week that those out in the nations will bring their glory into the, the new Jerusalem, right? For the Lord. It's going to be something amazing and new, but we will not be bored under any circumstances. I love it. No more curse. 
Verse 4 says, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be written on their foreheads. Again, this is speaking of a deeper relationship than ever. Moses was said to be the man that spoke to God as a friend speaks face to face. But that doesn't mean he spoke to God face to face. It means that he had a great relationship at like best friends. One time, Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord went, you can't, you can't see it. But I'll put you in a rock. I'll put you in this little cleft in the rock and I'll pass by. And after I've gone by, you'll see what remains. Right? So even then, he didn't see God. He just saw the afterglow of what took place when God passed by. And it was so much that Moses came down with his face glowing. Right? But he still did not see him face to face. If we could see Jesus like John did while Jesus was on earth doing ministry, we would be pretty stoked, right? Being able to see Jesus face to face. We'd be like, this is amazing, Lord. I've always wanted to see you. John saw him that way. And then John saw him glorified as he's described in the beginning of Revelation. But even then, it was only so much that John could take. If the Lord showed up in his glory, just like with Moses, or in the same situation where we had to protect Moses from his glory, we would just cease to exist. We, we cannot be in his presence. And it's important for us to know that I've had people say, well, God can't be around sin. And the, the, the picture they paint is like, God is like going, ooh, yuck, sin, I can't be around it, ooh. No, it's that he can't be in the presence of it because it will simply destroy it. And so he can't be in our presence in face-to-face contact because we would just go, and we'd be gone, right? We've got to be in a glorified, resurrected body, and in that place, we will see him face-to-face in his full glory. Not like John saw him in the day, not like John saw him on Patmos, in his absolute glorified state. We're going to see him face-to-face. And in that place, we'll be able to, right? Again, this is the new relationship. This is the new depth. This is the new intimacy with God that we haven't even scratched the surface on yet. This is so much more than we can take in, but I think it's important that we try, right? It's important that we try and take in what does it mean that we will see his face and his name will be upon us. The idea is that we are his completely and he's ours completely. Again, no more division, no more separation because of the curse or because of any other failings or faults of our own. But we will be in this new, deep relationship that's never been seen before. Verse 5 says, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light. Now, this is, this is so much more than uh, just a convenience thing. I'm like, oh, great. I don't ever need a flashlight again. You know, we won't be fumbling around in the middle of the night. It's, again, this new relationship, this greater, deeper relationship. And to me, I think what's, where, where we see it scratching the surface just a little bit now is what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, of thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Right? As we take in the word of God, it directs us the direction we should go. It shows us the character of Jesus Christ and of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit. 
and, and it guides us in our path. It warns us of the obstacles. It warns us of the traps. And so that's partially what we can take in now. But again, in this new relationship, seeing the Lord face to face, there's going to be a light and an understanding that we walk in like nothing else. And instead of reading the word to know who he is, we're just going to know who he is. All things that were lost in the garden and more have now been restored. Those things that, again, any of us would have fallen just like Adam did, but after all of that time, it is, is now being restored. It says, they shall reign forever and ever. And again, people say, well, who's left to reign over, right? I mean, if we're all reigning, then doesn't that mean nobody's reigning? <laughs> but again, we're thinking of it as like, well, who do I get to be in charge of? That's not really what is the idea here. It's that Adam was put in charge of all creation to reign over it, to have authority over it, and it was lost. And now it's reinstated to all mankind, to all those who believe, to every believer that's there in the New Jerusalem, they receive back the authority that was lost and more. All right, verse 6. It says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the, the words of this prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed, these things, who showed me these things. And he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant of your brethren, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust... Let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Now as the book of Revelation starts wrapping up, and this is, like I said, we start getting some other voices. We get the angel, we get the Lord, we get John. Um, we're also getting some reminders of things that have taken place earlier, in, say in, in chapter 1. We get some promises, and we also get some very stern warnings. Um, as I mentioned, this, some of this is pointing back to chapter 1. We've seen this saying a couple times in the last few chapters, these words are faithful and true. These things can be counted on. What you've heard, and he's not just speaking of what John has just recently heard what John just heard a few minutes ago. He's pointing back to the entirety of this book, all the way back to what began in chapter 1. He's saying all of these words are faithful and true. You can count on them more than you've counted on anything else in your entire life. And again, for John, this has been a pretty wild ride. We've gotten a break every single week and come back on the weekend. Keep in mind, John has been on this merry-go-round the entire time since chapter 1. And I picture him being a little bit exhausted, um, 
You know, I think about Daniel, and Daniel would have these revelations from God, and then afterwards he'd say, and I laid in bed for many days. <laughs> like, he was just wrecked afterwards. And I just pictured John, doesn't say that again, it's just how I pictured it in my head. But as he's taking all of this in, he realizes he's come, he's come to the end of all of this. And the angel is telling him, man, you need to know all of this is faithful and true. All of this has been delivered, delivered to you for a purpose, and it is all trustworthy, which includes everything, right? The terrible, the joyful, the tragic, the glorious, the stubborn sinfulness of mankind that has been seen so clearly through the book of Revelation, and the faithful love of Jesus Christ, desiring to redeem the lost all the way through the book, right? These words are faithful and true. They can be absolutely counted on. And, and they have come at a great delivery, you know, that it, it didn't just, this isn't something that washed up on the beach and John found. It isn't something that somebody else delivered to him, some other person delivered to him. An angel brought this and the Lord revealed it to him. And it says, And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. These faithful and true words were delivered supernaturally by God for a purpose. Why? Well, I, I think there's several things that get accomplished, right? And it all kind of rolls together into that purpose. First of all, it does show us the state of all mankind. While we like to think, in, in not just out in the world, but even within the church, people like to think, well, mankind's getting a lot better. You know, we used to be these savages, and now look at us. We're super, you know, intelligent, and we've, we've you know, evolved so much. Actually, we're getting worse. We've just gotten more comfortable at being worse, right? And when you take away the things that make us comfortable, we'll be worse than we ever were. And that's one of the things that we see in Revelation, is that when the comforts of mankind are removed, we become horrible. And it has not changed. And so we're shown the, the state of mankind. We're shown the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That he is saving people out of the tribulation. He is, has 144,000 preaching the gospel. He's got angels circling the earth, preaching the gospel and warning to try and save all who will be saved. These words are delivered to us that we might recognize the seasons as it draws close. Now, the things we read about here, again, there are so many things that we came across that were like, this didn't exist 50 years ago. This wasn't around 100 years ago, but it is now. The idea of a one-world government, of a one-world currency, of all the world seeing these events take place, it didn't exist, but it does today. And so much so that we kind of take it for granted and go, well, of course everybody's going to see it. Well, that didn't make any sense 50 years ago. But it does today. Again, it's for us to recognize the seasons, the season that we're in, right? And I think in doing that, to understand that our time is short. We don't have time to waste. We don't have time to get distracted. We don't have time to be drawn into the things of this world because our time is short. The time is at hand. And, uh, and these things are going to shortly take place. And I think, again, these kind of build on top of each other. 
that in realizing that our time is short, it also causes us to prioritize what's important in life. That instead of looking at just the next job promotion or the next connection or next thing that we're doing at some place in our life, the next big hobby or whatever it might be, eternity starts making a lot more sense. And the idea of storing up our treasure in heaven becomes very worth it because it's the only thing that will last. All the things of this world, all the kingdoms that we looked at and the, the greatest kingdoms the earth has ever seen here in the tribulation, gone as if they never existed at all. No ruins of the great Babylon, no ruins of Egypt or Rome, they're gone. Like they never were. And so therefore, we're, knowing that these things are true, then how should we live? Man, for eternity, for the things of God, to bring as many people into the kingdom as we can. Now, one of the things that comes up and there's some terms here. It's actually mentioned three different ways. It talks about that uh, these things must shortly take place. And then the Lord says, behold, I come quickly. And then right after it says, these things are at hand. Okay. So first of all, you know, people will hear that and go, well, that was over 2,000 years ago. It doesn't seem quickly or at hand or, or shortly taking place. That 2,000 years, man. So these guys thought it was going to happen right away, like tomorrow, and, and we're still waiting. Well, the terms of shortly take place and come quickly are interesting because they don't mean what we think they mean. We thin, tend to think that means tomorrow, maybe the next day at the latest. But what it means is, is that when it begins, it's going to happen suddenly. That when these events start, there's no stopping it. And it is going to roll so quickly over mankind. And I think probably the best example is the flood of Noah, right? There was a long time leading up to the flood. Noah was preaching righteousness the entire time. He was building the ark. But when the rains fell, it was too late. It came quickly, suddenly. There was no stopping it at that point. And, and the time for people to repent ceased when that door closed. Done. That's the same idea here as the Lord speaking about his return. He's not saying it's tomorrow. He's saying when it happens, it's going to happen fast. Now, John, again, overwhelmed by all these things. This is actually the second time he's done this. Falls down at the feet of the angel and begins to worship. Now, we need to understand, this isn't like John is falling down and worshiping this angel as God. That's not the case. It's more of an irreverence. It's more of an, a, a really huge thank you. But it's close enough to worship. The angel's like, knock that off. I'm just like you, man. I'm a fellow servant with you and the prophets. And all that hold this book dear, that's us. We're on the same team. Don't, don't even look like you're doing that. And, and I like that. It just kind of shows the angels are very down-to-earth, very, you know, grounded, and they don't even want the appearance of that type of worship. And he tells John, do not seal the words of this prophecy or the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now, I told you what shortly and coming quickly are speaking of, but the time is at hand is in an even different phrase. Uh, First of all, he tells him not to seal the words of this book. And again, that's important. 
There were times that Daniel and others would receive a, a revelation or a vision. And then in the case of Daniel, he was told, now seal it up. It's not for you or this generation, but for a later generation. Which if I was Daniel, I'd be like, what? You know, I just went through all of that, <laughs> all of that craziness. I'm going to be in bed for many days as a result, and it's not even for me. But again, that wasn't Daniel, that's me. Um, and so there were times where the revelation is sealed for a later time. But the angel tells John, don't seal this. And the idea is like, this is not for the, the chosen few. The book of Revelation is not just for those seven churches. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for the theological elite. It is for everybody because the time is at hand. And that word for at hand means it's about to start. It's about to go any time. And people need to know what's in this book. What I find interesting is over the years, if there is any one book of the Bible that people are completely avoiding, it's the book of Revelation. I don't just mean like they're ignorant, like, oh, I've never read the book of Revelation. Because you'll talk to people like, oh, I've never read the book of Leviticus. And you're like, I get that, right? But they're like, oh, no, I've had several opportunities. I've thought about reading it, but no, I just avoid it. It's not to be sealed. We are to know these things. We're to understand them. Not to be afraid of them, we're to be talking about them. In fact, we will be blessed if we keep this book. And the idea of a keep, it doesn't just mean to hold it, it means to guard it. Like the keep of a castle, it's the guarding place. That, that if we guard this book and go, this is precious, man, then we're going to be blessed. And then something interesting, this is a, again, it seems like kind of a curve or a quick right turn or something in verse 11 and when he says he who is unjust let him be unjust still he was filthy let him be filthy still he was righteous let him be righteous still he was holy let him be holy still um it, it can almost sound like the lord is going i just let people do what do what they're going to do uh that's not exactly it the idea and again this is all in light of the book of revelation being delivered to mankind right that these words are faithful and true. They have been supernaturally delivered to mankind. And if anyone can read and hear these things and be unchanged, let them be unchanged. And if you can see the love of Jesus Christ displayed through the book of Revelation, the glory of the kingdom to come, and the, the temporary state of all things of this earth, and go, yeah, I don't care, then you don't care. Now, there are going to be lots of people in the tribulation that change their mind, right? The rapture of the church happens, boom, we're whisked away, and they're like, oh, no, that was today? I didn't know. And, and they're left behind, right? Unlike those in Noah's flood, these still have a chance. But it will be the hardest road that has ever been walked for mankind. It will be the worst time in the history of all the world. And to be a believer during that time will be harder than ever before, right? The vast majority of people that could read or hear or study this in any way and go, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. They will be un unchanged even after the rapture. And so that's what this is speaking of. Hey, if, if people can hear these things and it doesn't affect them, it doesn't cause them to change their direction, 
then, then don't go chasing after them. You know? and, and I think for me, that actually frees me up a little bit. Because for a long time, I thought that was our job as believers was to chase people down, you know, is to convince them that they need to go to heaven, convince them that they need Jesus Christ. When what I love about this is that here, all of this revelation has been delivered to John and, and to us through John. And our only job is to hold it out to the people that we're around. That's our only job. Just go, look, let me tell you about the love of Jesus Christ, not just in Revelation, in the Gospels, in the character of who he is, and, and that they would understand the revelation of who he is, right? But if they can hear those things and are unchanged, let them be unchanged. And you move on to the next person because they might be changed. But rather than chase this one person down or a few people down that just refuse, 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 okay. I, I've delivered it to you. And, and your time's not up. You can still change your mind, but I'm going to go to the next person because I think they want to hear more, right? Again, for those that choose not to believe, it's going to be the hardest road, literally, the hardest road ever for them to live for Christ then. Verse 12 says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. But outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to them the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, and from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Yeah. In verse 12, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. And again, that is speaking of that when he comes, it's going to be very suddenly. But I think there's also the call to believers, the, the warning, not, oh, I guess not really the warning, the encouragement to us that we are to be those looking for our master's return that he is going to come quickly. He's going to come suddenly. And we talked a lot about that when we looked at Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter 6 and all of those things that, man, when it begins, it's going to be a day like any other day. It's going to be a day where people are marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking, and it's a day like any day. And it's a day that he returns. And we want to be those looking for our master's return. 
To those in Matthew 24, when Jesus spoke about the wise and the evil servant, it was the evil servant that said, my master delays his coming. Oh, Jesus isn't coming back today. Oh, yeah, all this other stuff has to happen first. There's got to be a one world government. There's got to be a, a temple rebuilt. There's got to be all these things that happen before he comes. He's not coming back today. And the result of that attitude, my master delays his coming, is that the evil certain servant then began to eat and drink and beat his fellow servants. Living for the flesh and abusing others. But the wise servant, when his master returned in an hour he did not expect, found him so doing. Doing exactly what was set before him to do. And that we would be those looking for our Lord's return. He says, my reward is with me and I give to everyone according to his work. Again, people overcomplicate this. It's really not hard to understand. In no way is the Lord saying we're saved by works. In no way are we saved by what we give, sacrifice, do. But because we're saved, there should be good works that are tangible in our life. It's really that simple. James said that it was the proof of our faith, right? That because we're saved, we are people that do good works. If not, there's a problem. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end first and the last. And this is going right back to chapter 1, right? Where John was there on the island and the Lord appears and announces who he is with this exact statement. And now he closes the book with the same thing. From beginning to the end, he is all, the final authority above everything. Now in contrast to those who are blessed when they do his commandments, the, the blessed as they follow Jesus, do the things that he's called us to do. And again, it's not speaking of a legalistic, these commandments you have to do in order to be holy. The idea is like, hey, he tells you forgive. That's a commandment, forgive. You're going to be blessed when you forgive. Love people that are hard to love. You're going to be blessed when you love people that are hard to love, right? And so we will be blessed when we obey. But in in contrast, stark contrast as far as contrast could go. Verse 15 says, but outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. It does not mean they're outside the walls of the city. It does not mean they're outside somewhere on the earth. It means they are outside of all things of all creation in outer darkness. They are outside, never to return. They are outside, never to be redeemed. They are outside, never to rest again. And again, this isn't just the Lord bringing it up at the end, going, oh yeah, don't forget about those guys. He's, it's a warning to the reader. Going, look, there is a clear choice for each and every individual to make. You will either obey the calling of Jesus Christ, or you will not. And there's, That's it. That's all there is. To those who obey, you have a place in the city. You can walk in through the gate. You can drink from the water. You can approach the throne. And to those who won't, they are outside of all things. Forever. For us, again, there's there's the warning to take this book seriously. And it comes in two ways. 
First, in verse 7, it talks about blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So we know that if we keep it, we guard it, we hold to it, man, we're going to be blessed. But there's also the warning to those that would try and change it. Oh, I don't really like what that says. Oh, I don't really get what that says. I'm going to add to it. I'm going to take away from it. And I'm not saying that any believer here or, or any believer really is going to do that when they understand the importance of it. But the warning is to anyone who would, man, they will lose everything. And the interesting thing is, is whenever the a cult fires up and they're and at all connected to Christianity or point to Christianity at all, it's the book of Revelation they go after first. And they just slice it and dice it and they get to try and say whatever they want. They're doing exactly what God has warned. And I tell you what, this is the only place in the New Testament I can think of that a curse is pronounced on anyone at all. That if they take away from this book, their place will be taken away. If they add to it, the torment of this book will be added to them. Very serious warning. Now for us as believers, man, we go back, verse 7, we will be blessed if we keep it. And really that's my prayer. You know, as, as we've gone through, I can't remember if I did this or not when we started, where I just said, how many of you guys are freaked out by going through the book of Revelation? I think I did. And there were like several people like, oh, kind of. Again, because it's intimidating. But my hope is, is that in our whole journey of going through the book of Revelation, that we have been blessed, that, that it's no longer scary, that it's no longer that hard to understand. Yeah, there's parts of it that we go, gosh, I don't really know what that's talking about. But overall, I hope we all get it. And then we see the clear picture of God's great love for us and how he is going to, right up to the end, try and save as many as he can. I hope that's the case. I hope I haven't made it more confusing. <laughs> but that it would cause us to be looking up, looking for the Lord's return, right? Looking for our master's soon return. Because while we don't know the, the day or the hour, it sure does look like the season. You start looking around in the world and the things that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, and you go, that sounds so familiar. It sounds like the news. It sounds like what I'm reading on the internet. It's just, it's just, the season that we're in, man, his Lord could, the Lord's return could be at any time. And I hope that we are all going to be those faithful servants doing exactly what he's given us to do, looking for him in an hour that even we didn't expect him to come back. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for the power of your word that not only do you reveal to us your character and ours, and how much we need you, but you, real, you reveal to us the things of the future, the things that have not yet taken place, but to you, it's as good as done. Lord, thank you that these words are faithful and true, and we can hold to them. And may we be people that keep this book of prophecy, that we would be blessed, and that we would share hope with this lost world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.